Good morning. Welcome to St. James. I'm glad that you guys are here. I'm glad that everybody who's walking into the sanctuary late is here too. And uh, welcome to the people who are watching on the live stream. Make sure that you fill out the guest registers at the end of the row and pass those down. That's, it would be helpful uh, for me to see that, uh, who is here. A um, couple things about today. First of all, uh, taking something off the schedule. The new members class, we're not meeting tonight, so you can scratch that. Adding something to the schedule. Um, Easter, this coming uh, Sunday's Easter, um, there will be brunch right after the service. Instead of the Bible study hour, we will meet downstairs and all have a, a meal together. But that will also include um, the church's Easter egg hunt. That's different than Glen Carbon, the community's Easter egg hunt, which is happening today in the park. And a bunch of you have signed up, so St. James is staffing that. A bunch of you have signed up to help out with that. Um, you, that's at the park at 11.30. You do not have to have signed up to help out with the, the community's Easter egg hunt. So if you would like to, or if you have kids who want to participate in that, that's 11.30 in the park across the street. Actually, uh, I don't know if the Easter egg hunt's at 11.30. I don't think it is. I think that it's at 1. I heard noon and I heard 1. One, okay. We are, if you are working at it, I think we're supposed to be there at 11.30 to hide eggs and whatever. But um, if you're just going to take your kids there, then be there at one o'clock. That's, that's this afternoon, okay? Um, Monday, Thursday, uh, service seven o'clock p.m. Uh, be here, that's a communion service. A Good Friday service at seven. This is my uh, favorite service of the year. Uh, so it's, uh, if you've never been to uh, a Tenebrae service, like you should show up to that. It's pretty powerful. Um, and it's not a lot of me talking. It's a lot of like reading the story of Jesus's death. And I, I've talked to a couple people here who have, um, who have had some ideas about ways to give hope and comfort at the end of that service. And I'm not meaning to shoot you down or anything, but the point of the Good Friday service is to leave in the darkness, is not to leave with good vibes, but just to kind of sit for a couple days in the death of God and what that means for us. And then we'll have the good vibes Sunday, next Sunday morning, Easter Sunday. All right, um, new, uh, men's Bible study, Wednesday at 6.30. I think that that's all I have. Have I said everything about the Easter egg hunt? Yes. So um, uh, I, I'm totally going to remember what I should be telling you here in a second. Uh, I don't I don't know. Let's go ahead and stand and sing the opening hymn and then we'll get into it. Jesus, Jesus. 
continue in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Let's confess our sin to God. Father, you are the Lord and you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that's on it, the seas and all that's in them, and you preserve them all. You've called us to yourself and given us a covenant. You have become our God and made us your people, and yet we have turned away from you. We have rebelled against you. You have delivered us many times according to your covenant mercies. You have warned us, and yet we have acted presumptuously. You have sent us prophets, and we have turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened our necks and would not obey your law. You are the Lord and you alone. You are our God, great and mighty. You keep covenant and steadfast love. We deplore our sins before you and before each other. They've only gotten us into trouble. They've only enslaved us. They have not given us the happiness they promised. Deliver us from our sin and the power and attraction of sin through the faithful suffering and death of our Savior, Jesus Christ, whose intercession we plead and in whose name we pray. Amen. Because of Jesus, God has forgiven all our sin. Hear the gospel of Christ from 1 John. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the expiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Amen. Jesus said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. From Psalm 118, open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. Old Testament reading, Isaiah 50. This is, uh, there are four servant songs. You guys have heard me, I think I actually mentioned this last week. Four servant songs in the back half of, of the book of Isaiah. This is, some people say it's the, they call this the fifth servant song because it echoes a lot of the stuff that goes on in the other four servant songs, uh, but it doesn't have the word servant in it, and so sometimes it gets left out. But it, it is, I, I, I believe it's clearly the same character that shows up in Isaiah 52 and 53, Yahweh's servant. 
The Lord God, this is the servant talking, I believe. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with the word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I've set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who's my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. But the, that's the rhetorical questions with the implied answer, nobody can de- declare me guilty because God's on my side. All right, epistle reading is Philippians 2, 5 through 11. If you grabbed one of these sheets uh, coming in, I've actually added a couple of verses to the uh, reading. You'll recognize Philippians 2, 5 through 11. A lot of you will, not all of you, but some of you will recognize, I should say. I, I wanted to add verses 12 through 13 to it because when I was studying it this past couple of weeks, it seems to me that it's uh, very, very much connected to, to 5 through 11, and I wanted to bring it out in my sermon, so um, I put it on here too. I'm going to read it from, um, from the, uh, with the additional couple verses. Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. That word form there, just like the word form back in verse six, has to, it's, it's, it means category. Like Think like concrete forms. Um, Jesus is in the category of God, but in verse seven, he takes the category of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand for the gospel reading. Holy Gospel according to St. John, chapter 12. Glory to you, O Lord. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast of of Passover were some Greeks, some Greek speakers. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Uh, more on that in the sermon, on the, which is going to be on the epistle reading. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. 
And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their, hearts and heart, their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's confess our faith with the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, Light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets, and I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. You may be seated, and if the visioning team could come forward, and while they're coming forward, I'll talk to you about what, what that means. Uh, we, you've heard us talk about this a little bit. Um, so in uh, the spring of 2018, so this is like uh, five years ago, 
uh, it became uh, kind of clear to all of us who were here that uh, we had a problem at the church, which was space, especially educational space. This is, I'm feeling, could, could you like shift over here? It's, that's weirding me out. The, the, the anal retentive side of me is, okay, that's better. Rod's right in the middle, very, very centered, thank you. Uh, educational space, uh, for those of you who don't have kids or who don't ever go downstairs, uh, there's not really space for our, our kids down there. They're crammed into little tiny rooms and when the weather's nice, they can come out and go outside for a bit, but it's really rough. Gathering space, uh, we, we've a little tiny narthex right there. Um, uh, sanctuary space ha- has been an issue. Sometimes uh, uh, you know, COVID kind of changed that for a while. Um, but, but really, educational space has been an issue. And so we started thinking and praying in the spring of 2018 about uh, what we would do about uh, our space here. And COVID got in the way. Last year, or two years ago, we decided to uh, spend a little bit of money and hire Dan Herford to plan out an expansion for us, mainly educational space and a gathering area, but also a little bit of, uh, of sanctuary space expansion as well. Um, we talked to LCEF, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, which if you don't know who they are, it's, uh, it's our synod's uh, investment group, and they loan money to churches who are doing missional projects and building expansions at really, really good rates. And we talked to them about what that would look like to partner with them, and they suggested that, we, that they partner with us for a year-long visioning process. And the rationale behind the visioning process, and hopefully when I explain the rationale, I'll kind of clue you in on what that is, is when, instead of just saying, instead of all of us just being like, okay, we just need a building, let's just build a building or, or do an expansion, to figure out what it is that God has called us uniquely to be here in St. James for the community. What, what are the gifts that he's given us? What are the missions that he's called us to? And then to figure out if an expansion even fits into that. If it doesn't, we don't need it. If it does, what kind of expansion do we need? So to do a lot of legwork, instead of just like going blindly into some sort of uh, big expense, doing a lot of prayer and studying and thinking amongst ourselves, what has God called us to do? So we put the, we put, put the expansion on hold for a bit, if we even need it, and we decided to spend a year to do this, uh, partnering with them, this uh, mission visioning process. A member of the church got excited about this and donated, graciously donated the money to do this with LCF. And then the people that you see here in front of us uh, graciously volunteered their time to be a part of a visioning team, which will help lead the rest of us in this process of exploring what it is that God has called us to do. A big part of that that you need to know about right now is this survey that LCF and these guys created together. Um, the survey's available. I strongly encourage you to take the purple thing out of your bulletin. Not, you don't have to look at it right now, but there's a QR code on the back of it. To use that QR code to do the survey, it's completely anonymous. Actually, the survey goes to uh, LCEF, and they kind of gather all the information and then get it to us. The questions on the survey have been decided by, by these guys, and they're very sort of insightful questions. If you're not, if you're like, what the heck's a QR code? There are paper surveys back there, which you can take, fill out. You don't put your name on it. Put, stick it in the box. We'll send it off to LCF. And then um, by April 23rd, have these surveys done. May 4th, we're going to meet here at church. It's, I, I believe it's a Thursday evening. And 
Tom Egerbrecht, uh, who's a pastor who uh, uh, serves with LCF now and is going to be our, our coordinator, is going to meet with us. Uh, we're going to have dinner, babysitting, and then we're going to go over the results of the survey and talk about what we're going to do moving forward to kind of come up with this guiding statement that will help us this year think about why God has decided to place this unique group of individuals here in Glen Carbon for the sake of Glen Carbon. So we wanted to do this morning is to, uh, and LCF recommended doing this, is to commission these guys, A, so that we kind of put it on record that they are doing this work and that we are going to support them and pray for them, but B, so that you can see their faces and, and know who's involved here and know that they're not shady characters. They're upstanding citizens and members of the church. So uh, I'm going to read from Ephesians 4 real quick. Paul says, To each of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the whole body of Christ may be built up. And from Christ the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, each one of the ministries that we have here, each one of the diaconal ministries that we have here, whether it's youth group or fellowship or mercy ministries or community groups or now the mission, uh, uh, um, the, 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 uh, mission visioning team, all of these ministries are not about these people doing the work. It's not about the youth group leaders doing the work. It's not about the fellowship people doing the work. It's about them, these diaconal ministries, equipping us to do this work. So we're not gonna, this, is, this won't be a spectator uh, sport. You have this group of people here, and they're gonna be equipping the rest of us to do this vision. It's, it's your vision, which is another way of saying it's God's vision that he communicates through his body, the church. And so that's what we're gonna do here. Eric Robinson is the deacon in charge of this, but you, uh, Nick Shoddy here, uh, Jamie Moldenhauer's on the team, uh, Gabe Moldenhauer temporarily on the team, uh, Rod Nathan, Doug Rohr, Cheryl Schnicker, and William Ellington. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, these people may or may not be getting a hold of you to discuss this. And, you know, what are your thoughts? The key, though, is for us to be praying and asking God to lead us. And, and he will. God won't refuse to lead the people who say, will you lead us? Listening for the Holy Spirit, being in the Word, so that when we have these discussions about where God is leading us, we'll let the Holy Spirit strike sparks off those conversations we have with each other and see where they go. And that's what this group is up here doing this morning. So let me ask them, and it's kind of weird because they're not facing me, uh, but let me ask them. In the presence of God in our congregation, I ask you guys, do you accept the responsibilities entrusted to you? Will you faithfully lead, it, lead us in our vision path process, being led yourself by the Holy Spirit and God's word? If so, answer, I will. Because of your willingness to serve, we entrust the congregation and trust each of you with leadership in this process. May God inspire and strengthen you to be our effective and faithful leaders. And now for the congregation, will you guys make a commitment to our leaders to keep them in prayer and to partner with them as they enlist and invite the rest of us to be active participants in this vision, pa vision path process? If so, then all of us together, let's answer yes with God's help. Yes with God's help. May God give all of us an opportunity to participate in this vision path process and respond to his love with generosity, trust, and excitement. Let's pray. Father, fill the hearts of these leaders with your presence so that they may be our models and examples as we seek to follow you into the future that you've planned for our church and for, Saint, and for Glen Carbon. Unite us in your vision. Enable all whose lives we touch to sense that you're doing something powerful and compelling in our midst. In the name of our Savior, Jesus, we ask this. Amen.
You guys may return to your seat and we will sing the sermon hymn. begin this morning by uh, praying for our time together. Father, be with us as we uh, look at uh, your servant Paul's word to us in Philippians 2. We uh, desperately need your presence, God. We desperately need a vision of your glory in your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, we don't need more information in our heads. We frankly probably have too much information in our heads right now, but we do need you we need your transforming power. And so we pray for the next few minutes that your voice would speak here, that we would hear the voice of your son, Jesus, that we would sense deeply your love for us, your commitment to your word, world. Father, help, uh, help all of us to hear a better sermon than the one I'm about to deliver over the next few minutes. Strengthen us in grace and in holiness. Uh, connect us to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Palm Sunday is a Sunday where we, uh, of course, historically, it's, we think about Christ's triumphal entry in, into Jerusalem. Um, really what's at stake there is the kingdom of Jesus celebrated with uh, the people shouting the hosannas and spreading the palms. Uh, but combined, of course, with the dark, 
the dark clouds of his approaching death, which happens just a few days after that. And how those two things aren't separate, they're not to be kept separate in our minds. Uh, the, the kingdom of Jesus and the death of Jesus are inextricably linked. They go together. And Philippians 2, which is, a, I think, I believe that Philippians 2, many years, is the text that's read on Palm Sunday, the epistle reading. It really, really emphasizes this. I want to do two things. I want to talk about two things from this text this morning. And then I want to talk about what those two things have to do with us and how we live our lives. The first thing I want to point out, and this is going to sound a little bit dry at first, and it may or may not be dry uh, as we go along, but just stay, stay in there with me. Don't think, okay, this is uh, just uh, a plain old uh, theology. Kind of hang with me there. The first thing I want to point out from this text is that Jesus is the one true human. Jesus is the one true human. Let's think for a few minutes about um, us and humanity and what's wrong. I, I don't know anybody. Uh, I, I think I said this a couple weeks ago. I don't know anybody from the most devout religious person to the most skeptical, skeptical agnostic. Who, the, the one thing we all agree on is that our world is screwed up, is that everything is broken. I think it's worthwhile to ask ourselves what's going on there and what's the problem. And I, of course, I'm a Christian pastor, and so I'm sort of obligated to say, like Bible stuff, the answer to what's wrong with the world, the, 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 the primal sin that combines all of our sins, that, that lays behind all of the brokenness and the wrongness of the world, the primal sin is the desire to be God, the desire to be God. We all desire to be God. Deep down inside, we want to be God. Back in Genesis 3, when Satan is tempting Adam and Eve to the first sin, this is the temptation that he tempts them with. Satan says to them, did God actually say to Adam and Eve, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Uh, this, you know, this command that, that, that God gave them, you can do whatever you want. Do whatever your heart desires. Just don't eat from this one tree. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. You will be like God. That's the ultimate temptation is to be like God. Now, for those of you who are religious people, I know some of you are like, I don't want to be like God. But you do. You do want to be like God. Every single human being does. If you think about God in terms of Psalm 115, verse three, where the psalmist says, our God is in heaven, he does whatever he pleases. That's, that's, that's a positive affirmation of who God is and what he does. Our God is in heaven, he does whatever he pleases. That's what I want. For me, I mean, I wanna do whatever I please. Now, I, like all good unaware people, think that if I could do what I wanted, if I had the freedom to do whatever I wanted, all of you would be much happier because I would totally use that power to like make your lives better. Everybody, everybody, everybody who you know, becomes a nurse or becomes a school teacher or gets into politics always says that. Who becomes a pastor or a social worker or a therapist, I'm gonna get a bunch of knowledge or power and I'm gonna use that to make people's lives better. 
That's great. And to some extent, people do that. But unfortunately, just the record of human history shows that all of those people, me being the main one on trial here this morning, uses that power to benefit himself. I use that power to try to manipulate, to try and benefit myself. I want to do whatever I want to do. I want to do what I please. This has led to bad sins. This has led to little sins too. Um, I'm contractually obligated here to mention Hitler if I'm bringing up people who, because it, I mean, it's, it's, it's writ so large, right? I mean, it's just, he's, it's so obvious that he wants to dethrone God and install himself. And then, of course, what results from that is not good for anybody, least of all the German people. There's also my little tiny Hitlers running around who, who, who do really bad things. I, I read a story this week, of, and some of you read this too, maybe, of the, of the guy. This, is, this happened this past week in Vancouver, British Columbia. A guy was with his three-year-old daughter, and they were sitting outside of Starbucks, and a, a man came and sat down right next to them and started vaping. And the guy, the dad, leaned over to the man and said, hey, can you not vape because my three-year-old daughter's here? And the guy who was vaping responded by pulling out a knife and killing the man. Why? Because whoever that man was does whatever he pleases. And the fact that somebody else would try and stop him to, to try to take away his divine authority to do whatever he wants Deeply offensive to him, so much so that he wanted to defend that right with his knife. This desire for freedom, I have another sermon built into here, which I'll preach at you guys later. I know that like when I say the word freedom, it taps into the American mythos, which is very idolatrous, by the way. I said that maybe I'll save this sermon for July 4th Sunday or something. This passion for freedom, for doing whatever we want to do, uncoupled from godly morality or uncoupled from a sense of personal responsibility, a sense that I actually should be free to serve other people has created the mess that we're in now in, in, in the Western world. So there's these sorts of things and it's easy to criticize because I just, I, 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 I just assume that nobody killed anybody at Starbucks this week with a knife for infringing upon your personal freedom. It's easy to kind of take shots at those guys and the Hitlers of the world. But... This gets writ small too in little events throughout my life which shows that while to the extent that I believe in freedom, I haven't gone as far as the Hitlers of the world, but the seeds are there in the seedbed of my heart. I still, I still want to do whatever I want. This comes out in little small ways, right? Perfectionism is one of these ways where this passion, this lust for being like God consumes us. Some of you struggle with perfectionism. Some of you, I was talking to, Angela and I were talking this week about um, one of the barriers to hospitality in the Christian church being this need for if you're gonna come into my space, it has to be like just right. I cannot show you any part of my life that's messy or I can't make for you a meal that's not like top notch. I don't want you walking away from my house thinking, oh, that was ordinary. Or, whoa, their living room was a wreck, or anything like that. That sort of perfectionism like keeps me out of your lives. It prohibits me from letting you in. What's behind that? What's behind that sin of closing myself off from you guys? 
perfectionism. It's the desire for perf- to be perfect. Only God is perfect. I can't be perfect. If I'm offering up you a curated version of myself that smells or looks perfect, I'm offering you up a mini idol. I'm trying to get you to believe in a me. I need you to believe in a me that's perfect so that I can believe in a me that's perfect. And what I'm doing is trying to reinforce this desire that's buried deep within myself to be like God. Frustrations frequently, I mean, a lot of, this, this is very complicated, right? I mean, getting frustrated is always a mix of righteousness, getting frustrated at bad things are happening, but also a mix of my own idols that are being challenged too. Frustrations are the same way. A lot of us struggle with being frustrated at different things. And different reasons why we're frustrated. I could go to my old standby getting cut off in traffic. You get frustrated at work or or at home when you're, anytime you are doing something with somebody else and you're working on something together, a work project or a project at home or just coordinating who's gonna pick up somebody when, you're always kind of navigating the debate between, do I just decide what we're gonna do and say we're doing it my way? Or do I live with the frustration of having to do things this person's way and kind of swallowing the frustration of that? Always kind of grappling with that. Now what is that? Where does that frustration come from? The frustration of working with somebody and being like, I'm either just gonna have to like hate this person because they don't do things my way or I'm just gonna have to do it myself. What is that? Where does that frustration come from? It comes from this desire to be like God. This belief that if we do it my way, it'll be good. And I can't let us do it anybody else's way. Or I can let us do it their way, but I'm just gonna end up having to hate them because they don't do it the right way. All of us experience this all the time. These are just little ways. You're not stabbing anybody out in front of the Starbucks. But these are little ways in which our desire to be like God eats like cancer at the middle of our souls, in rips at the ties that bind us to each other. It's desire to be like God. It's back and behind of everything that's broken and sinful in the entire world. Every human being, no human being has been able to escape the lie that you can be like God, knowing good and evil. We've all fallen for it. Except for one person. Ironically, Jesus has been able to escape the desire to be God. I know that sounds weird because you you expect me to say that Jesus is God, and I'm going to. I don't want to get in trouble. I should just say that right now. Actually, what Philippians 2, 5, and 6 is saying, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, look at verse 6, who, uh, though he was in the form of God, he was in the category of God, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to, to, to lunge after, a thing to latch onto, a thing to say, I have to have this. I have to be perfect. I have to get my way. I have to experience, for, I, have to, I have to be able to do what I wanna do. Jesus is the only human being who was given the task that Adam and Eve were given in the Garden of Eden and failed at and was successful. And that's why, that, that, that's why I preface this point with Jesus is the one true human. We were put on this earth to lovingly reflect God's image, but to recognize that we aren't God. And from the very beginning, we failed at that. We fell for the lie, you can be like God. I I, I fall for the lie, you fall for the lie, Adam and you fell for the lie. The only person who hasn't fallen for the lie is Jesus. This makes him more human than me and you. 
This makes him more like what God created humans to be in the Garden of Eden than you and I are. Which, this leads us to the second point. Jesus is the only person, actually, you know, let's read seven and eight. I don't want to leave those out. That's good too. Jesus empties himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death. Jesus is the only obedient human ever, truly obedient, 100% without reservations obedient. Jesus is the only person in the history of the universe who's ever said to, 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 to God, not my will, but thine be done, and like unqualifiedly meant it. Like I, I say it all the time, and I should, and you say it all the time too, those of you who are Christians. You say this too, and, and, and we should say it, but there's, oh, you, you know this, there's always a part of you that's like, but can it still be my will? Like when we pray, not my will, but thine, part of it is an exercise in like training, God train us to want your will over our will. Only Jesus has ever said it without any sort of reservation, completely committed, even though he was freaked out by it, even though his heart did not want to do it. Let this cut pass from me, he prefaces that prayer with. He still, with all of his heart, prays, but not my will, but thy be well done. Thine will be done. Okay, second point. I'm going to tie these two things together in just a second. Uh, Jesus is the one true God. He's, he's the one true human, the only true human in the history of the universe, but he's also true God. Verse 9, being found in human form, um, of, that, that, that was verse 8. Therefore, God has highly exalted Jesus because he was obedient, because he humbled himself, because he emptied himself. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, that's worship language, right? In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess, again, worship language, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that's, that's God language, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus' destiny, Jesus' future, is that every creature in the entire universe bow down and worship him. That's not language that any other human besides him can rightly apply to themselves and be sane or not be blasphemous. Everybody in the entire universe will one day bow down and worship Jesus because he is the one true God. In case, like, Paul, in case, we've, in case we missed the point too, Paul alludes to this, uh, give me two seconds to do a little bit of biblical theology here real quick. Paul alludes to this famous text in Isaiah 45, a text that's radically monotheistic. There's only one God. There's only one God. I'll, I'll read to you a little bit of this. Uh, he, Isaiah 45 describes God's plan of salvation. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Who said from way back when, I'm gonna rescue my world from the curse? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, the Lord says. A righteous God and a savior there is none besides me. He says it twice in the same verse. There is no God besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. Says it three times in the space of four or five lines. There's no other God besides me. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. This is the word that shall not return. To me, God says, the Lord says, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Paul takes this radically monotheistic text from the Old Testament and applies it to the Jewish carpenter in Philippians 2, 10 through 11. At the name of Jesus, he, he, and then he quotes from Isaiah 45, which is about the Lord, the creator God. 
At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that. Now, Isaiah 45 talked about the Lord. Paul says that Jesus Christ, this is what they'll confess, that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Somehow within Paul's monotheism, there's room for these multiple persons in the Trinity in ways that like it's incomprehensible. But for right now, let me just emphasize here that Paul's point thus far has been that Jesus is the one true human. Jesus has been the new and better Adam. And Jesus is also the one true God. Now, the connection here for Paul is, and now I'm in the third point. What does this have to do with me and you? Because if the problem is our desire to be like God and that gets us into huge trouble, this is gonna have to solve that problem in some sense, all right? Now, how, how does this text solve this problem? For, for, for Paul, it's the connection between the obedience and through that obedience, the suffering and humiliation of Jesus Messiah and his divine status, that these two things go together. The key word here is the, the word at the front of verse nine. Therefore, Jesus was obedient in ways that Adam wasn't, Jesus emptied himself, Jesus humbled himself, Jesus became obedient to the point of death. Therefore, in other words, it's, it's not like Jesus was obedient and suffered. Thankfully, that's over. Let's move on to Jesus being God. It's Jesus was obedient and suffered. Therefore, inextricable connection to now, because of that, through that, in that obedience, in that suffering, in that self-giving, sacrificial love, Jesus is worshiped as one true God. These two things go together. And here's the point, very close to being done here. Here's the point, is that when I desire to be like God, that gets me in trouble. Why is that? It's because as a fallen, screwed up human being, my definition of God is everybody does what I want. I get recognition. I get maybe hopefully even money. I get people who are attracted to me. I get people who like listen to me and when I say you should do this, they do it. I get a world that runs the Aaron Miller way of the world running. That's my definition of God because I'm screwed up. Now, side note, one of, one of the big problems that we have as Christians and for those of you who are unbelievers too is thinking of God in that lens. Oh, God's the big guy up in the sky who just like blows people up and zaps people and says, worship me and, and like uh, you do what I want or I'm gonna kill you. No, 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 that's the way I would be God. That's not the way he is God. How is he God? In the text, the way that God is God is by emptying himself, by humiliating himself for our benefit, by suffering for us so that we don't have to suffer. In other words, by self-sacrificial love. That's the definition of God. A couple more steps here. One is this. Your desire to be like God, listen to this. Your desire to be like God is your greatest weakness. Going all the way back to Adam and Eve. However, your desire to be like God is also your greatest strength. God planted that desire deep inside of you. In Genesis 1.26, when the Trinity decided to make humans, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit decided to make humans to look like them to be made in their image. You were made to look like God. That's why the lie that you can look like God and you can be like God is so attractive because it appeals to this deep desire down inside of each of us to be like God. 
But we, we can't be like God the way that we humans want to be like God. It has to be like this. It has to be through self-sacrificial giving love. The only way that you are going to fulfill that desire that you have to be like God is to look like this, self-sacrificial giving love. Now, if you're like me, th- this isn't just like pr- pr- Protestant, like cheap speak here. I, I, I hope it's not. I, I know myself well enough to know that like I'm on my own incapable of loving self-sacrificially. I always demand, I, I always place obligations on my love. I want something back for it. How is this going to happen? How is the love of God and Jesus Christ going to work itself out in my life so that I can experience the glory of what it means to be like God? And the answer is, verses 12 and 13, and seriously, we're almost done. This is, the, uh, this is why I added these two verses because, again, it starts off with a therefore. In other words, like, don't stop reading at verse 11. I know that the verse 11 is really good, but don't stop reading there. There's a connection to what happens next because Paul realizes the problem that he's raised. He's raised the problem of a God who's become human and has given up the right to grasp divinity because the humans are grasping divinity. And that's, that's a logical problem, hey, but it's also a moral problem. For What are we gonna do with this God who refuses to grasp his own divinity so that he can rescue us? And the answer is this, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, I don't have time to explain this right now, but let me just say this means you start loving each other self-sacrificially. Do it. I know that for those of you who are, you know, you good Protestants out here, you're like, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I'm just gonna kind of bleep over that verse you know, like a name in a Russian novel and forget that that's there because it doesn't really fit in my theology. Let's get to the part where I can do whatever I want, but God forgives me anyway. No, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We need to start self-sacrificially loving each other and loving Glenn Carbon. God has called us, to, that's what it means to look like God. And if we're gonna look like God in Glenn Carbon, we have to self-sacrificially love. And if we're gonna be a Christian ghetto in Glenn Carbon, if we're gonna say Glenn Carbon exists for us, all the money that we don't pay in taxes we'll use to kind of like cower here and forget them, then we aren't looking like God. We're looking like Adam and Eve. We're looking like the dude outside of the Starbucks who kills people, who challenges their freedom. This is what we do as Christians. We get angry at the people who challenge Christianity. We start stabbing with our verbal knives or whatever, social media knives. What we're called to do is love self-sacrificially in ways that the church doesn't hardly ever do because the church has not yet tapped into. I, I said that, that's, that's too harsh. We don't always tap into this reality of work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because, keep on reading here. So I, I left out the good part to the last. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Okay, let's try. Who is God? Well, we just read it. It's the one true God is Jesus. Jesus is in you. Working out his good pleasure so that, look what it says, you can both will, that means to desire what you want, and to work for, to do. So when Jesus is living inside of us, he begins to create the desire to self-sacrificially love and the ability to self-sacrificially love. This isn't a pipe dream. We can't, we, we can't hide behind our Lutheran theology anymore and say, well, nobody's righteous, no, not one. We can't do any good works. So let's just do whatever we want and ask God to forgive us. No, we have Jesus. And that means inside of us, we have the one God who emptied himself and experienced the glory because he suffered for us. 
and he's working in us to desire to do that for others. As the Father sent me, so send I you, Jesus says to the church. And the ability to do this for others. Let's begin to live in that. When you come to the rail here in a few minutes, you're feeding on Jesus. This isn't just like, uh, we'll talk about communion on Thursday night. That's what the sermon will be about on Thursday night. We are being fueled by Jesus himself so that we can self-sacrificially love, give up ourselves as servants to each other and to Glenn Carbon, so that seeing the glory of me and you and people we don't even know yet come and bow the knee to Jesus will happen through that self-sacrificial love. And it won't be us. It'll be the Jesus who's working in us to will and to do his good pleasure. Let's pray. Father, may this be the case with us. You know that we can't do this on our own. Holy Spirit, come and move our hearts. Jesus, come and feed us on yourself. Father, give us the forgiveness and the power to be who you created us to be and who we've always failed to be, but now through the one true human, your son, Jesus Christ, you are making it happen in us even now. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. No one can hinder thee. Hosanna to King David's son. No one can hinder thee. He rides upon a donkey small. No one can hinder thee. The King of peace, the Lord of all. No No one can hinder thee. Ride on, King Jesus, ride on. No one can hinder thee. The children sing and dance and shout. No one can hinder thee. If they won't praise or the rocks will cry out. No what he said no one can hinder thee he healed the sick and he raised the dead no one can hinder thee right on King Jesus no one can hinder thee right on King Jesus right on no one the light of God shines on his face. No one can hinder thee. He offers all his pardoning grace. No one can hinder thee. Come join the throng, your voice is raised. No one can hinder thee. The King of love deserves your praise. No one can hinder thee. Ride on, King Jesus. No one can hinder thee. Ride on, King Jesus. Ride on, no one can hinder thee. Ride on, King Jesus. No.
Please stand for prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being such a good love, for, for being so loving and such a good father and for uh, all the tender mercies that you pour out upon us and for um, your constant grace that you renew to us each and every day. And you know how much we need you, uh, that we need your powers. We come to the rail now, Father. Give us yourself in ways that heal and renew and restore us physically and spiritually and psychologically and emotionally and relationally. Father, we need that. Uh, and so we pray that for the sake of your son Jesus' name, you would do that. Lord, in your mercy. Father, be with everyone who's hurting this morning and struggling with brokenness and fears, worries about uh, the future, uh, financial worries and relationship worries, physical pain, um, physical brokenness, uh, being scared about impending death. I pray that you would give hope and comfort to those who are grieving as well, and I pray especially that you would be with um, Dale Langefeld's family. Uh, Dale's mom passed away yesterday, and that you would give hope and comfort to Dale and to his siblings and to Rhonda and the girls as well, and that you would lift them up so that they could see um, that, that they could see uh, the glorious new creation that's waiting for us thanks to your son's resurrection and that not just them, but all of us could find hope and purpose and in, in, in meaning in the, the promise of the resurrection and the promise of all things made new. In this light too, Father, I pray that you would give hope and comfort and uh, just be present with our brothers and sisters in Christ at Covenant Presbyterian Church in Nashville and Covenant School there after the, the school shooting this week and that, um, that you would help them to continue to find hope and comfort in you and in your mercies to them and that uh, even in broken situations like this in, in our own deaths too and the deaths of our own loved ones that, that not artificially but genuinely that the world would be able to see that we grieve in a different way and that we grieve with hopefulness and uh, looking forward to the new creation and the promise of resurrection in your son, Jesus. Lord, in your mercy. Father, I thank you for the ministries that you've called this church to. And uh, we pray this week that you would, would bless the fellowship team and the work that Jen and Tina do. And especially today as we um, leave Bible study to go serve our community uh, with uh, Glen Carbon's Easter egg hunt and the work that Jen has done getting ready for that, that you would bless that and that uh, we'd be able to love them, uh, love our town in your name and that you would bear fruit through that, that you would make our town a wonderful place to live and that you would make uh, Glen Carbon, uh, allow us to be your agents in helping Glen Carbon to be a place where righteousness and love and mercy are the coin of the realm. I also pray that you be with uh, uh, um, for our missions that we support too and especially this week we pray that you would bless Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis and the important ministry that's there and um, the ministry of education and the, your word that's being taught and um, preached um, in chapel there and in the classrooms there and that you would raise up um, future leaders in, in that school uh, and that you would bless them in all of our schools, our, our Lutheran schools and our public schools and our homeschool families too, that You'd be raising up future leaders and that you would be guiding and directing our kids to grow up in the nurture and admonition of you. Lord, in your mercy. 
Father, we can only pray these things because you have invited us into your throne room. You've called us your daughters and sons. You've made us your father by making Jesus our brother. And so we come to you asking you to answer these prayers according to your will. We thank you for the boldness that you've given us to come into your throne room and pray these prayers. We confess that we can only come in here because the shed blood of your son, Jesus, which covers our sins, which unites us to himself, which makes us his brothers and sisters. And so we pray this to you, our Father, in the name of our brother, Jesus. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord, our God. It is truly meet, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, Holy Lord, Almighty Father, everlasting God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who accomplished the salvation of mankind by the tree of the cross, that where death arose, their life also might rise again, and that the serpent who overcame by the tree of the garden might likewise by the tree of the cross be overcome. Therefore, with angels and archangels, And with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and singing. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of Sabaoth adore, heaven and earth with full acclaim, shout the glory of your name, sing Hosanna in the highest, sing Hosanna to the Lord. Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated.
stand. Now may this true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen you and preserve you and keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Depart in Christ's peace. Amen. bless the Lord. Lord bless you and keep you. Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Community is the name of the game, right? You learn how to, thank you Ethan Tubbs, you learn how to give of yourself self-sacrificially not by going home into your room and like trying to work it up but by being in a relationship with people. You can actually start that right now on your way out of here. Get involved in the community. Go in peace.